One of the most devastating realities of life are children's hospitals. One of the things that I have to do and, and, and have had to do throughout the course of my ministry is to go and make hospital visits. And in my previous context particularly, we went to children's hospital a lot. And I don't know that there is anything sadder than seeing a young child pulling an IV behind them with a slick bald head. Having endured their body essentially being poisoned with chemotherapy. I don't think there's anything more heart-wrenching than to see a child, which I have seen, lying in the bed, writhing in pain as the infection moves through their body. I don't think there's anything harder to watch than to see a motionless child being brought into the emergency room at Children's Hospital, laying there motionless on a stretcher. And if there is anything worse, if there is anything more terrifying, if there is anything more heart-wrenching than it is tiny coffins, it's hard to keep your composure when you sit in a funeral home and you look to the very front of the room and you see a coffin that's way too small. And you know that it's a life that ended way too early, and way too young. And you see parents, and you see grandparents, and you see family screaming and crying and, and without words, just groaning because their hearts are so cut out of their chests. But the truth is, is that children's hospitals and tiny coffins are some of the most effective preachers in this world. They are all preaching to us. Every tiny stretcher, every sick child, every tiny coffin is a preacher preaching to us that life is frail and fragile. That if the most innocent among us, if those that should be the healthiest among us, those that should live the longest lives among us, if they can be sick, if they can die, then how frail and how fragile are we? That's the struggle of the human condition, isn't it? That's the struggle that all of us face. That's, that's what all of us are looking into, is that we are all facing down this tyrant that has ruled over the earth for thousands of years, this tyrant called death, the most wicked kind. And it seems hopeless, and it seems helpless, and we mostly are terrified of it. But the truth is, is this morning, if we can believe in the risen Christ, if we can believe in the resurrected Savior, then we all have hope. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul brings to a close what we've been talking about for four weeks now, this realities of the resurrection, as he is teaching us the implications of it for our lives. If you would stand with me as we read God's word together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 50 through 58. God's word says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. When we come to verse 50, what we see is the problem that Paul is trying to resolve for us. The problem is, as verse 50 say, says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is, when he speaks of flesh and blood, what Paul is speaking of there is he is speaking of, of human nature and everything that it encompasses. He is speaking perhaps most specifically to the frailty and the fragility of human nature. You see, in the kingdom of God, everything is immovable. Everything is unshakable. Everything is immortal. Everything is eternal. But we aren't, are we? Essentially, everything in the kingdom of God is the polar opposite of what we are. Everything that, that is there is holy, and we are wicked. Everything there is forever, and we are temporary. Everything in there is, is unshakable, and we are easily shaken. And so what Paul is saying is that we are not fit for the kingdom of God. We are not built for the kingdom of God. We would never survive in the kingdom of God. If we were even to make it in there, the very holiness of God would vaporize us in an instant. And Paul is speaking perhaps even most specifically about our physical bodies and, and the, our flesh and the frailty of our bodies and the frailty of our flesh. He's saying our bodies cannot endure forever. Our bodies simply have an time clock, an expiration date. See, what Paul is doing here in verse 50 is he is acknowledging that the Corinthian church is at least half right. If you remember what we've talked about, the, what Paul is trying to resolve in the Corinthian church is a misunderstanding about the very nature of the resurrection. Being very uh, influenced by Greek philosophy, what the Corinthian church had, become, had begun to believe was what most of Greek society believed. And that was that our bodies are a cage that hold in the soul, that hold in the spirit, that imprison it. That everything that is good about us, that everything that is right about us is our spirit, is our soul. And that our body is everything that is wrong for us. And that the goal of the person is to escape the body. The goal of the person is to get outside the body so that the, the soul, so that the spirit might be set free from this cage. And here's what Paul's saying. You're at least half right. You're at least half right. See, they understood, what, when they talked about resurrection, what they thought is, is that at the moment of resurrection, their souls were going to be set free from their bodies. And what Paul is saying is, is you're, like, you see the symptom, but you don't properly understand the circumstances. See, what, what they're half right is, is that our bodies are, in essence, a lot like a cage for us, aren't they? Our bodies limit us from doing the things that we want to do. Our bodies compel us to do the bad things that we 
shouldn't do or don't want to do. That our bodies are continually at war against us as they decay and as they rot and as they diminish. They discourage us. Even this morning I experienced that. My wife stayed up to about 12.30 last night. I was preparing to preach and I was studying and doing all that stuff. And my wife stayed up till 12.30 this morning getting all of our Easter stuff together. Because like many of you, as soon as church is over, we're going to head out and go out of town, right? And so she's got all of her stuff. And, and like my precious wife does, she had made sure all of our clothes were coordinating. Because I don't let her do any of that any other time of the year except on Easter. And man, she is going to make it happen on Easter. And so I put on my shirt that she had laid out and pressed and had it looking good. And that baby wouldn't button. <laughs> Turns out the cooking at Iron City is pretty good. And it's embarrassing. And it's just a picture of what all of us know to be the truth, isn't it? Our bodies betray us. Our bodies are, in essence, a cage that, that, are, that are, in some ways, compelling us towards sin. And in other ways, holding us back from doing what is right and doing what is good. There are two, way, two words that Paul uses in our text to describe the condition of our bodies. The first word, we see it in verse 50, and again in verse 53, is that they are perishable. That they are perishable. When Paul uses the word perishable, what he is talking about is that our bodies are all decaying toward death. And all of us know this to be the truth. All of us know this to be the truth. And we know this to be the truth if we don't do anything else but just walk through Walmart or turn on the TV and see the infomercials. What are they filled with? They're filled with anti-aging products. They are filled with fountain of youth hope. They are filled with trying to get rid of one more wrinkle for just a little bit longer, right? They are filled with, uh, if you go to the Pack-A-Sack today, it is filled with Red Bull and, and Monster Energy drinks, hoping that we can be revitalized and re-energized because our bodies get weary and our bodies diminish. And what all of us know in here is that the older that you get, the worse that that gets, right? It doesn't get better with time, it just gets worse, it just gets harder. And that's because our bodies are perishing, our bodies are expiring, our bodies are spiraling and devolving toward what will be our ultimate demise and final death. This is why we have to have surgeries. This is why we take medicines. This is why we face so many of the struggles that we face and so many aches that we have and pains that we have. This is why living in this life, an old age is both a blessing and a curse. There's no doubt that to live a long life is a blessing from the Lord and a gift from the Lord. But at the same time, the longer that you live in this life, the more pain that you endure, the more likely you are to have to endure major surgeries, the more likely you are to have to face incredible hardship and sickness and struggle. Why? Our bodies are perishable. Our bodies are perishing. The second word that Paul uses to describe our condition is found in verse 53, and it's the word mortal. The word mortal. Where perishable is talking about us in our decay and our diminished toward death, what mortality is speaking of is death itself. And this is a fine line here. This is an important, an important distinction for us. Because it is possible for all of us to die without fully perishing. Without fully decaying, isn't it? 
It's, it's not impossible to think that a teenager, a 16-year-old, virile, healthy teenage boy can be playing in a basketball game when all of a sudden there's a hole in his heart that he didn't know about that leads to a stroke and strikes him dead. I know because I've seen that before. It's not impossible that you could be running and be jogging and be in the best shape, trying everything that you can do to keep your body from diminishing when all of a sudden your heart explodes and your life ceases. It's not impossible for us to believe that you can be at the peak of your life, you can be in peak physical condition, you can be in peak athletic condition, when all of a sudden you realize you missed your exit on the interstate, and you swoop, and you turn all at one time, only to center the guardrail and step into eternity in an instant. Now, mortality is real for us. At any moment, on any day, we could find our end. We could find our death. The question is not if, the question is how and when. And this is our problem. This is the tyrant that all of us have been born into this life facing down. This is the tyrant that has been mocking us and taunting us since birth. This is the one that grips us in fear and keeps us from doing all the things that we want to do. So Paul says, because this is the case, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, because we are perishing, because we are mortal, then we must be changed if we are going to live forever. Did you read that? He says, we must be changed. Verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, that which is perishing must become that which is imperishable. That which is mortal must become that which is immortal. That which is weak must become that which is strong. That which is temporary must become that which is eternal. That which will last forever. You see, there's essentially two alternatives for us this morning. There's two alternatives for every person that is born into the world. And the first alternative is, is that we do nothing. We continue on living our life. We continue on being who we want to be. We continue on trying to push back Father Time as much as we can. Fight against this cage that is our bodies the best we can. To be in the best shape. To live the fullest life. To do nothing in terms of forever. To only find our demise. And you know what it says will happen to us? We will perish. We will die. We will enter into a state of eternal perishing. In Luke 9.48, one of the ways that Jesus describes hell is this way. He says that it's the place where the worm never dies. In other words, you're going to go to hell... If you are on your own flesh and blood, you're going to go to hell if you're under your own strength. You're going to go to hell if you're living a good life to the best of your ability, but your ability only. And you're going to want to be able to die. Oh, you'll want to be able to die. You'll want the relief that death could bring. But it won't happen. There is no dying. There is only perishing. There is only further decay. Your mind will be depraved. Your, your spirit will be depressed. Your joints will be on fire. Your body will thrive, throb. Your eyes will burn. Your throat will hurt. Only to get worse. Only to continue perishing. 
only to continue spiraling, only to continue decaying. The other option, the other option is that you put on immortality. The other option is that you put on that which is imperishable. The other option is that you are victorious over death and able to live forever. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, that's why as Christians we so ferociously celebrate Easter. That's why we so passionately set aside this day to proclaim the resurrected Christ. Because this is the significance for us of the resurrection. Not only does the resurrection affirm Jesus as God. Not only does the resurrection affirm Jesus as being exactly who he says he is. Doing exactly what he says he will do. The resurrection in allows us to know that Jesus is imperishable and Jesus is immortal and that Jesus has the ability to make us so. That because of the victory of Christ, we can be changed. Because of the victory of Christ over the grave, because of his own resurrection, because he has been raised, we can now be raised. Remember Paul told us that, that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. That having seen Jesus' resurrection, we can be assured of our own. That because Jesus has tasted the, the bitterness of death, we can now know the sweetness of eternal life. And when will it happen? When the trumpet sounds. When the trumpet sounds. In the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, in a moment, the trumpet will sound and the sky will split. And the trumpet sounds for two reasons. First, it's proclaiming that the glorious king has come and he has come back triumphant. He has come back victorious. He has come back and has won. And at the same time, what is it doing? The trumpet is calling out from the grave those, those who have died in Christ. He is calling forth out of the grave all of those saints that have gone before and died before that they might be reunited with their bodies and united with Christ at the same time. Can we just stop for a second and just think about what a moment that's going to be? What's that going to be like? Can I just, oh, you're going to be there. In Christ, if you're in Christ, if you've repented of your sin, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you have put on immortality and put on imperishability, you're going to be there. Yeah, right? Now think about this for a second. The dead being raised out of the grave. There's going to be a parade of the resurrected. All is an exclamation point on Jesus' victory. All is salt in the wounds of Satan. And as they come by, you know what you're going to see? There's no tears that day. On that day, there, there is no sadness. On that day, there is no grieving. On that day, there is no mourning. There's only smiles. There's only joy. joy. There's only full rejoicing. There is only victory and triumphant joy. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, like, I, as, as I've studied this, like, I always kind of thought it would be cool to be one of the resurrected from the dead that goes in and, and is immediately, because it says the dead will be called first, right? And then those that are still living when Christ comes, then they will be joining Christ. I always kind of thought that's what I, like, I want to be the resurrected because I want to go first, you know? Like, I'm kind of self-centered that way. But you know, as I've thought about this thing, 
I think it would be awesome just to be alive and just watch this thing. I mean, can you just imagine Jesus coming, the trumpet blowing, and then all of a sudden seeing dead people coming to life? Dead people that died in disparity. Dead people that died uh, sick. Dead people that died weak. Now they're up and they're dancing and they're parading, telling Satan that he has lost finally and ultimately. And we will be changed. Now, I think this brings to question, what will our bodies look like then? I think that's one of the things all of us wonder. What will, what will our bodies look like in that moment? It, when we are changed, when we put on the immortality, when we put on the imperishability. And I think it's that phrase that tell, gives us an idea on what they will look like. When he says put on, think about what Paul doesn't say. What Paul doesn't say is to take anything off, right? Paul doesn't say that we have to peel off this flesh. Paul doesn't say that we have to take off this body. Instead, what does Paul say? He says that we put on immortality. We put on imperishability. In other words, we take what we have and we add to it. We take who we already are, what we already are, and we just improve it. We just make it perfect. You see, there is great continuity between this life and the next. Just minus all the bad. I think sometimes... The way that Hollywood and cartoons and all of us have begun to portray heaven, we make it seem as though it's some boring place for us to be. That we're just going to be angels with naked butts flying around and, and, I shouldn't have said that. That just came out. You talk in front of people enough, you say things you wouldn't, wish you wouldn't have said. Flying around with halos and harps and singing. It's early this morning, early service. And we think, who would want to do that forever? Who would want to do that forever? And I'm with you. But that's not what we're going to be doing forever. We're going to be living life. We're going to be doing things that bring us joy and significance. We're going to be doing things that give us fulfillment and satisfaction. We're really going to live lives. And we're going to live them looking like whom? Looking like ourselves. Looking like ourselves. You know, it's, it's said often that to be human is to err. Or to be human is to be flawed. But brothers and sisters, that's not right. That's not true. That's not what humans are. That's only what humans are in a Genesis 3 world. What humans are are humans are those which most perfectly and most gloriously portray the very image of God to the world. That we are that in which God has chosen to most fully manifest his glory so that his name might be hallowed throughout the cosmos. And on that day, that too will be. On that day, what we will ultimately be is we will be most beautifully and most fully human. We will be ourselves minus all the bad. We will be ourselves minus all the pain. We will be ourselves minus all the handicaps. We will be ourselves in a consummated and glorified state so that forever, perpetually, we might proclaim the glory of God to the extent of the cosmos. Can you wait for that? I'm ready. I'm ready for that. So what does Paul say? Paul says that for all of us that are in Christ... For all of us for whom that will be reality. For all of us for whom that will be real and that will be joy. 
we get to taunt death. We get to mock it. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. In other words, the resurrection of Christ has consumed death. The resurrection of Christ has overwhelmed death. It has crushed death. It has eliminated death. That what we will see when the trumpet sounds is we will see the most wicked tyrant in all of the history finally and ultimately destroyed. And so now what do we get to say? Based on what's going to happen one day, based on the hope that is assured for us, based on the certainty and the faith that we have in Christ, what we get to do now is we get to look at death and we get to mock it. And we get to taunt it. Paul says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? What can you do? You have nothing left to lord over me with. You have nothing left to scare me with. For me, to die is gain. So what do you have, death? You can't scare me anymore. Isn't it awesome to see Paul talking trash to that which scares us the most? When I played sports in high school, what you wanted most is to get a good lead up on somebody and to allow them to all of a sudden tar- start talking a little bit of stuff. And what did you always say to them? Scoreboard. Scoreboard. Death comes and he accuses us. Death comes and he mocks us. Death comes and he tries to defeat us. And what all of us can say that are in Christ is scoreboard. Scoreboard. You've already lost. You've already been defeated. It's already secured. It's already over. Scoreboard. And so all of us now, we live in victory. All of us now, we live as those that look at death and we taunt it. And this is why Christians get to grieve differently. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we don't grieve as those without Christ. We grieve differently. Does that mean we don't grieve at all? Of course not. Of course we grieve. It's hard to be separated from people that we love in this life. It's hard to, be, to see someone that we like and to watch their body to get decay and to, to watch them step out into eternity and to know that we can't call them on the phone anymore and we can't hear them, their voice anymore. We can't come to Easter worship with them anymore. It's devastating. But we don't grieve the same as everybody else. No, we grieve through rejoicing. We grieve through rejoicing. We grieve because the loss is hard. We grieve because the pain is real. But we rejoice. We rejoice because we know it's better for them anyway. We rejoice because we know they aren't hurting anymore. We rejoice because we know it's better for them to be with Christ than for them to be with us. And so because death has no victory and because death has no sting, whenever the stinger of death comes to penetrate your soul, we say we are impervious to the sting of death. Because Christ has made us so. Now what's interesting here, I think, is the way that Paul ends this text. Paul ends this text in verse 58 by giving us application. By giving us commands, by giving us imperatives. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now that's interesting that Paul, having talked about the resurrection, then goes and says, because of that, therefore, looking back at that, this is now how you should live. This is now who you should be. 
So all he's talked about is the knowledge of the resurrection, right understanding of the resurrection. And I think the question for us this morning is, is how does right knowledge about the resurrection change the way that we live? The answer is found in a strange place, I think. I think the answer, answer is found in the king snake. Let me explain why. In verse 58, the, the first two imperatives that he gives is be steadfast and immovable. Be steadfast, be immovable. And both of those terms are essentially saying the same thing. Both of those terms are essentially saying don't back down, don't waver, don't stop. Press on, keep on, don't cower down, don't slow down. Go forward for the mission of Christ. Go forward in your living. Go forward in your doing. Now how does that have anything to do with the resurrection? Let's talk about the king snake. See, the king snake, what makes it remarkable is that the, other, the venoms of other snakes does not bother it. And so you can have what would appear to be a much more dangerous snake, like a rattlesnake or a water moccasin or a copperhead, and it can come and it can approach the king snake, and the king snake doesn't flinch. The king snake doesn't run. As a matter of fact, it's more likely that the rattlesnake will run than the king snake will run. Why? Because the threat of the rattlesnake has been neutralized. The threat of the water moccasin has been neutralized. The venom has been rendered pointless and powerless. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what Christ has done for us. The only threat this life can hold against you is death. And Jesus has rendered death powerless. Jesus has neutralized our enemy for us. And so just like the kingsnake, we don't flinch. Just like the kingsnake, we aren't afraid. Let me ask you, how would you live if you were certain you wouldn't die? How would you live if you were certain you wouldn't die? What kind of courage might you have? What kind of boldness might you have? What kind of joy might you have? It would be a joy nobody could take from you, right? This is how Christians have been living for 2,000 years. Is that we know death has been neutralized. We know we can't die. Even temporarily, we know that because God is sovereign over all things, until we have completed what he has for us to com complete, there is nothing that can kill us. There is nothing that can take us out from here. Because he reigns over all of that. And so everybody else, they run from Ebola, and we run to it. Everybody else runs from countries that are filled with terrorists. And what are Christians doing? They're going and they're sending missionaries, soldiers. They're running at it. Everybody else is afraid of hostile cities like the one our mission team has just been in. Like Salt Lake City. Or like Harlem. Or North Korea. Or China. And what do Christians do? Christians do the same thing now that they've been doing for 2,000 years. They run at it because you've got nothing to hold over us. We can't die. Death has been neutralized. We are steadfast. We are immovable. We will press on because our king has already won. It doesn't stop there. What else does Paul say? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's think about the king snake again. Not only is the king snake impervious to the bite of a poisonous snake or a venomous snake, but the king snake will actually strike the poisonous snake, kill it, and then eat it. That's why you should leave those on your land if you've got them. 
Because that's awesome. Here's what I'm saying. Is that because death has been neutralized, because your enemy has been neutralized, you are now empowered to be the enemy of your enemy. The church is not a defense. You understand that? We're not, we're not waiting back, hoping to defend off the attacks of Satan. We're not hanging back, hoping just to fight off death and to fight off the, this darkness. That's not what we are. No, the church is an offense. The church is going after it. That's why in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Go. We're on offense. And Jesus has already secured the victory. We're just running up the score. Why? There's no enemy. There's no enemy that can defeat us. There's no enemy that can stop us. There's no enemy that can slow us down. Jesus has already secured it in the resurrection. This morning, I wonder as you think about your life, do you taunt death or does death taunt you? This morning, are you afraid of death or is death afraid of you? This morning, do you know what it's like to have resurrection joy and to be able to live with resurrection courage and resurrection boldness? Perhaps you would say, no, I'm just continuing on in my own way and one day I'm, I'm destined for the place where the worm never dies. This morning, I would call you forward to come to, to seek counsel from me or Aaron from another brother or sister that you trust, that you might know. That you might enjoy this victory that Christ has already secured on all of those that would call on his name. Perhaps you're a Christian, but you're living like a coward. And this morning, Christ is calling you to come forward. He is calling you to be steadfast. He is calling you to be immovable. He is calling you to stop being afraid and instead abound in the work of the Lord. This morning, maybe God is calling you to, to take up, pull up your life and to move to the mission field somewhere. Perhaps God is calling you to, to step up and embrace gospel ministry. Perhaps he's asking you to start a Bible study at your job or to take some other bold step of faith. And this morning, I want you to be empowered. Step up. Go. Move forward. Your enemy has already been neutralized. Maybe today you would commit that to Christ. Whatever the Lord has done in your heart this morning, whatever the Spirit has convicted you of, repent and respond. Let me pray for us.